This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Digger... Dylan and his friends stopped at the foothills of the Noah Volcanoes in order to retrieve some blue crystal for Mac. Mora, who had been feeling a surge in the light lately, used her powers to extract the crystal. Before continuing on, they met a lower one named Ungra. The big Sasquatch-like being from a lower layer confirmed everything they'd heard about Ryan and the lower ones and told them where to go to reach the Noah Volcanoes. As a parting gift, Ungra gave Mora a large yellow crystal, much like the one on her mother's necklace. Meanwhile, Kai ordered his risers to destroy Ryan before starting their rise to the surface. But Kai wasn't rising with his army. He was setting out to retrieve the drum rock key and was not far behind Dylan and his friends. In the distance, his airship approached the foothills. And now for episode 10, 
the Knower Volcanoes. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents... Digger. glanced nervously at the rear camera screen as he flew the airships over the rocky foothills. Every once in a while he'd catch a quick glimpse of a flicker of light back in the distance. It vanished just as quickly as it appeared. Grebe was starting to wonder if his mind was playing tricks on him. Even if it was, he pushed the engines just in case they were being followed. Sitting next to him, Dylan and Laney watched out the cockpit window in silence as the warm glow on the horizon grew brighter. Dylan kept wondering what the knowers were going to be like. Would they be friendly? Or were they hostile? Maybe they didn't want to be found. Would they be able to help them surface? He glanced over at Laney who was practicing different shocked expressions and mumbling to herself. What are you doing? Laney stopped to look at him. I'm practicing my reaction for when we reach the volcanoes. What do you think? Should I do more of this? <gasps> like I'm seeing a giant monster? Or more like this? <sighs> like I'm seeing into heaven? I'd say a little less of all of that. <sighs> what do you know? Laney went back to practicing her reactions and Dylan shook his head. He glanced over at Mora, who was intensely examining her new yellow crystal. It was still shining like a huge crystal banana with a light inside it. Adding to the radiance, Mora's pale skin seemed to be glowing even brighter than before. Dylan hoped she was okay, and that all this glowing stuff wasn't some sign of trouble. Mora noticed him looking at her and shot him a smile. Then she noticed how Mac, who was sitting a few feet away from her, was also obsessing over a crystal. He marveled at the huge blue gem for a supercomputer and waved it around like a lightsaber while making lightsaber sounds with his mouth. Mora gave him a curious look which made him stop. Want to play? Mac asked. I can be a Jedi, and you're a Thith Lord. That's your lightsaber. He nodded to Moore's glowing crystal and then held up his own. Come on, let's have a lightsaber duel. He waved his blue crystal in front of her and made more ridiculous lightsaber sounds. <laughs> Mora caught his crystal. Stop. <sighs> Whatever. He put his crystal away and sat back in his chair. Waste of a glowing crystal, if you ask me. Dylan chuckled to himself and returned his gaze to the cockpit window. The airships were cresting a tall hill. When they reached the top, an orange glow dispelled all darkness around them. Dylan got to his feet. Is that? The Noah Volcanoes, Grebe whispered. Everyone stared out the cockpit window in awe. 
A ring of enormous crystal volcanoes spanned the horizon. They glowed orange as hot magma bubbled out their tops and cascaded down their transparent slopes. Occasionally, clouds of sparks and colorful jewels burst from their vents like fireworks. Steaming rivers of lava oozed through the crystal-clear rock valley below and pooled together at the center of the ring, the melted jewels giving them glittering streaks of color. The transparent ground made it easy to see the channels of lava running deep under the surface, like yellow veins twisting and turning over each other and forming a magnificent golden web. Juicy, Mac whispered. Dylan and Laney wanted to call him out for using the word, but both were too dumbfounded to say anything. Laney's amazed reaction was far less poised and attractive than the ones she'd practiced. She looked more like a panic Pete squeeze doll with her bulging eyes and tiny puckered mouth. Dylan's expression wasn't much better. He stared wide-eyed at the crystal volcanoes and gasped when he felt the sudden warmth filling the cockpit, a heat equal to a dozen joppos and enough to make his forehead sweat. Mora's necklace, her big yellow crystal, and the crystals dangling from the airship's ceiling glowed brighter, pulsing to the same radiant light. Grebe wiped the sweat from his face and steered the airships around the crystal volcanoes. As he did, Dylan felt a passing wave of heat as if he'd just walked too close to a campfire. Once the airships had passed into the ring of volcanoes, the cockpit lights flickered. Dylan anxiously glanced around at the controls. Did you just... The lights flickered again, and this time the ship jerked. What was that? Laney cried, grabbing onto her armrests. Were we hit? Mora asked. Grebe feverishly typed into the control panel. I do not know, but we are losing power. Losing power? Mora jumped to her feet. This place is filled with nothing but power. The lights blinked on and off again, and the ship jerked some more. An alarm chirped on the control panel. Grebe struggled with the joysticks. If I go much further, the engines will die and we will freefall. I am going to land us by the lava lake. Using all his strength, Gree barely managed to land the ships before the engines died and the cockpit went dark. Except for the glowing crystals and the orange light radiating from the ring of volcanoes outside. This is it, Dylan whispered. But where are the knowers? Mac leaned over Dylan's shoulder to get a better look. Maybe they melted. Everyone shot him a dumb look. Ugh. After everything we've seen, that sounds crazy to you? Max said. It's possible. Just like it's possible the Know-Earth are actually those volcanoes. Okay, you're done. Dylan cut him off. What? They could totally be Angra Lava Mountain people. Is it that far-fetched? We ate giant worms down here, people. Grebe stood and grabbed his huge orange-bladed axe off the wall. It glowed at his touch. Dylan, Laney, McIntosh grabbed the bags of boomerangs. We may need them. As they turned to do as he said, Grebe stopped Dylan. Do you have the key? Dylan showed him the dagger tucked away in his tool belt. Good. Keep it safe and out of sight. I do not want any attention drawn to it. Understand? Yes, Dylan said, feeling a little uneasy seeing the fear in Grebe's eyes. 
He did his best to pull his shirt down over the dagger before joining the others. While he, Laney, and Mac grabbed the boomerangs, Mora tucked away her yellow crystal and held up her spear. Its tip was now glowing white. I have never seen it glow that color before, Grebe said, nodding to it. I have not either, Mora replied, observing the shining spearhead. What does it mean? Mora looked at him. It means they are here. Minutes later, the airship exit door opened and everyone stepped out. Mora led the group as they cautiously walked across the Crystal Valley towards the Lake of Lava. Laney was hysterically cry-mumbling to herself. Grebe gripped his axe as he scanned the area. Mac fanned himself and complained about the heat. And Dylan stuck close to Mora, who seemed to know where she was going. He could almost feel her skin glowing now, if that was even possible. The warmth and light radiating from her was incredible, and he found himself gravitating closer to her without even realizing it. Mora didn't seem to notice. She pointed her glowing spear out in front of her and stared intently at the tip. Do you know where we're going? Dylan asked her, trying not to make his question sound dubious. Not exactly, Mora said, still glancing at her spear as she walked. But there is a presence here. I can feel them. The more we walk in this direction, the feeling grows stronger. The light, she paused and took a deep breath, is overwhelming. I know. I think I can kind of feel it too. Dylan did feel a tingling sensation. Whether that was coming from the light or was just the heat from the lava, he couldn't be sure. But he noticed that every time he came close to Mora, an electric zing seemed to zap between them. Nothing painful, just an energy that was very real. Mora smiled at him. I was not sure if you were feeling it. We are connected. What do you mean? Dylan asked, his heart racing. Mora's strong, blue-eyed gaze seemed to defy the innocence of her sweet, freckled face. She carefully touched his elbow, and the tingling energy surged through Dylan's arm. He gasped. Whoa. We are bonded by the light, Mora whispered. I do not know why, yet, but I feel that we may soon discover the meaning of it. Dylan didn't want her to take her hand away, but Mac couldn't help but ruin the moment. Excuse me, Mac suddenly shouted. Dylan jumped and Mora pulled her hand back. At first, Dylan thought Mac was calling them out, but when he turned, he instead found his friend shouting at the surrounding volcanoes. Hello? Can you please tell us how to get to the surface? What are you doing? Mora snapped. Uh, clearly I'm talking to the volcanoes. <laughs> I can see that, but why? Mac squinted. They're called the Knower Volcanoes. Maybe they know something? Dylan quietly laughed to himself, but Mora wasn't amused. The volcanoes are not the Knowers, Mora said irritably. They are, Grebe interjected. He nodded to something up ahead. 
Everyone turned to see hazy pillars of fire emerge from the bubbling lava lake in the distance. Like the flames of touching candles, they multiplied, becoming clear and taking form as they approached. Soon they weren't flames at all, but beings walking towards them on two feet. Grebe and the kids froze. Seconds later, several people, men and women, stood before them. They wore dark blue robes and were tall. Dylan also noted that their skin was pale and their hair and eyes were bright blue just like Mora's. He looked at her to see if she had noticed the striking resemblance and found her staring up at them, tears filling her eyes. You are servants of the light, she whispered. The older man in the middle stepped forward and nodded. He had a dark blue beard and kind eyes. Mac's eyes bounced between the volcanoes and the newcomers. So you guys are the knowers, he said unimpressed. The older man smiled. Some have called us that, yes. So what do you know exactly? Mac! Laney elbowed him. Ouch! We know much, but not all, the man wisely replied. He looked down at Mora, who was still overcome with emotion. We have been watching for you, Mora. You have? Mora's tone almost sounded childlike. The man touched his chest. We have felt you coming for quite some time now, as I know you have felt us. Mora thought for a moment. I have, she said thoughtfully. A look of confusion crossed her face as she looked at the desolate valley. Why are you hiding here? We could use more servants of light back in the cities. We are all but extinct. Our influence spreads far and wide across under earth, the man said, motioning to the ring of volcanoes around them. This is the source of light for Under-Earth. We are its caretakers. We help keep the balance. What balance? Dylan asked, finally getting the nerve to speak up. It is man's nature to serve but himself, the servant explained. The light radiating from this place influences the people to do good. It inspires virtue and truth. Without it, darkness would have consumed Under-Earth long ago. I am afraid it already has, Grebe said sadly. Ryan is in the midst of a civil war. The risers are winning and they are set to break the surface as we speak. We know, the servant said simply. We have felt the ripples of change and have been preparing for it. The light will cleanse this layer as it has done in the past. You have foreseen this? Grebe said. Why not warn us? Many people have died. Sacrifices are always made when the light decides to purge anew. Men must be free to make their own choices. The light cannot shield them from the consequences. Its influence will guide the next generation to rise just as it has guided you here. Why don't we have servants of light on our lair? Dylan asked. You do. Every lair has servants of light. 
Some call them servants. He glanced at Mac. Some are called knowers. Others call them prophets. The name is not what matters. It is the light they nurture and spread. Dylan was stunned by this revelation. He'd never thought about there being the light on the surface, let alone those who knew how to tap into it and use it for good. He glanced down at the dagger in his tool belt. After considering it, he took it out and showed the servants, who weren't in the least bit affected by its sudden appearance. Dylan, put that away, Grebe ordered. I know you know what this is, Dylan said to the servants. Kai is after it, and we need to make sure he doesn't get it. He pointed to the lava lake nearby. Can I just melt it? Grebe no longer looked angry, but rather curious to hear the answer himself. I am afraid the key cannot be destroyed, the servant said solemnly. It was forged using the molten rock from this valley, and is therefore invincible. Dylan shook his head and looked down at the dagger. He wanted nothing more than to chuck it into the lava and be done with it. But, the servant continued, this much I can say. If you keep the key close, it will never leave your possession. With Mora by your side, it will be kept from the hands of destruction. Mora and Dylan exchanged a look of surprise. Mora looked back at the servant. If you have foreseen these events and have felt what is to come, then you know why we are here. The man nodded. You are here to help these children get home. Mora swallowed and then nodded. You have served the light well, Mora, the servant said with a smile. It shows in how freely it flows through you. We can help you, but it is something you will need to do yourselves. The light within you is full and will aid you. He looked at the rest of the group. There is light in all of you. Here you will feel it strongly. Here it can help you break the barrier. Mora frowned. You are saying I can lift all the way to the surface? The servant raised an eyebrow at her. You have almost done it several times already. But here you will find the extra power you need to go all the way. He pointed to her crystal necklace. The yellow crystals hold light and will give you the reserves you need to reach the top. He turned and pointed to a crystal hill nearby. The top of it came close to the ceiling of Underearth. There you will find your starting point. There, he turned back to them, you will dig. Mora stared down at her mother's yellow crystal necklace and at the large crystal at her side. I do not know if I can, she said doubtfully. Mora, the servant stepped closer. You have been chosen to break the barrier and to rise. The light shines brightly upon you. He motioned to her skin that was glowing, and Mora considered it. You can do this, Dylan told her. He's right. Can't you feel it? We have nothing to lose, Blue. Max said. Laney shrugged at her. I always say, fake it till you make it. 
Moore looked back at her father, who also had tears in his eyes. He smiled and nodded to her. Moore turned back to the other servants. Okay, I will try. Good. You must act quickly. Trouble approaches and we cannot interfere. The light forbids it. Remember, you'll need all the light you can summon, so do not lift until the dig. Go, now. The man's sudden urgency was startling. Taking a deep breath, Moore turned and ran for the hill and the kids followed. As they ran up the hill's slope, Dylan could hear the sound of airships approaching. Glancing back, he saw that the servants had disappeared, and in their place, three airships were roaring into the volcanic valley. They flew over the lava lake and were heading right for them. Their engines sputtered as they lost power. Oh my word, this hill is huge, Mac groaned, huffing and puffing his way up the slope. Dylan ran back and pulled his friend along. Come on, we're almost there. The top of the hill was just up ahead. They could see the under-earth ceiling clearly now. Mora led the way, sprinting with ease, her glowing spear lighting the way. Shaboom! A plasma blast ripped into the hill just in front of Mora and sent chunks of crystal flying. They stopped and turned to face the airships that were crash-landing on the hill slope. With a few final sputters from the engines, the ships went dark and crashed down. With a hiss and a whine, the airship's exit doors opened and out stepped Kai, dressed in his yellow armor, red cape, and token Nike sneakers. Several riser soldiers piled out of the other two ships and ran up to join him. Phew, that was close, <laughs> Kai said with a laugh. He put a little flame out on his cape and started marching up the hill towards them. A minute later and you would have been long gone with it. With what? Laney said, catching her breath. Kai came to a stop in front of them. The key, you fools! I know you have it. But how did you find us? He added in a mocking tone. Simple. Your garbage ship has a union tracker, and you were too dense to disable it. I do not know how, Grieb growled. No surprise there, Kai said. You were just a garbage collector after all. Now, give me the key and I will be on my way. And what if we don't? Max said defiantly. The soldiers aimed their crystal blasters. But as they did, the weapons powered down, sapped of their energy like the airships. Confused, the soldiers threw the rifles aside and took out their crystal swords instead. Then I'll kill you and find it anyway. That is the very key to our rise. Why do you insist on blowing everything up? Laney shouted. Why can't you just rise peacefully? Because peace is a foreign concept to your people, girl, Kai spat. The only language spoken among your leaders is war. It's the only way to get things done. Besides, I refuse to live among people who treat their lair with such contempt. How would you know how we feel about our lair? Dylan said, sick of being lectured to by this madman. All you have to go on is your stupid video feeds. They don't show the whole picture. Kai held out his hand for his soldiers to hang back, 
while he slowly walked up to the kids. I know exactly how it is up there, boy. Do you know why? Why? Kai made sure to keep his voice low so only the kids could hear. Because I've lived it. There was a long silence that hung in the air. Only the sounds of bubbling volcanoes could be heard. Dylan and the others stared at him, stunned. That's right, Kai said, his thin mustache and goatee turning up in a cocky grin. A surfacer just like you. How does it feel being betrayed by one of your own? How is that possible? Mora said, gripping her spear and glaring. Kai looked at her amused. I'll tell you how, my dear Mora. You. The kids looked at her in shock, but Mora seemed just as surprised by the accusation. Kai took a second to enjoy the kids' confused expressions. Dylan could see in the man's eyes that the temptation to brag about himself had become too much to resist. For him, there was always time to talk about how great he was. Kai glanced back at his soldiers to make sure they were well out of earshot. You see, he continued, I spent many of my years trying to find my purpose on the surface, trying to enjoy the things of the world like everyone else, but I found that they just left me feeling empty. There was too much hate in the world around me, too much greed. I was fired from one job after another, told I was too arrogant and that I was confrontational with the other workers. So I got a work visa and went across the pond to find a job in the U.S. But even there I was treated like lowly scum. I'd come across desperate times, without work, bills racking up. So when I heard the rumor going around that there was treasure buried beneath the baseball field of a local school, I had nothing to lose. Dylan grew uncomfortable with how similar this part of the story sounded. One night... I brought my shovel and dug and dug and dug and dug and dug until pretty soon the ground gave way and I slipped down into a tunnel that led me here. When I broke through into Underearth, I had to hold on to roots before an airship flew by and I could hop on. It was terrifying to be sure, but by the time I reached the city, I knew I was where I was meant to be. With my unparalleled knowledge of the surface's mysteries, and with a little help from my seemingly worthless theater degree, Laney scoffed, I quickly rose to power and realized I didn't have to be stuck down here in this stuffy lair. I could have the best of both worlds, an unlimited supply of wealth and power, and the beauties of the surface. All I had to do was rise up and claim them. When an elder later approached me with the drumrock key and knowledge of the drumrock's whereabouts, thinking me to be some savior of his people, I knew that I had everything I needed to fulfill my mission. Dylan couldn't believe what he was hearing. This maniac was from the surface? And yet somehow it all made sense. Kai's obsession with rising to the surface his passion with pop culture, the red Nikes. There was just one thing that didn't make sense. But how did Mora help you? He asked. 
Kai smiled and shook his head in delight, making his ponytail bounce. <laughs> ah, yes, my little Mora. She was the one who dug my hole. Well, most of it, at least. She obviously was trying to see the surface for herself and had almost reached the top when I accidentally finished digging the rest of her tunnel from above. No, Mora breathed. That is why it was plugged. That's right. After I broke through and was settled, I returned to plug the hole to hide where it come through. And now, my dear, thanks to your handiwork, thanks to your digging, my armies will rise to the surface and claim their new world. You are rising through that same tunnel? Greep said, firming his grip on his axe. Kai wagged a finger at him. I think we both know that there isn't just one tunnel. Grebe and Mora exchanged an uncomfortable glance. She'd clearly been digging for quite some time. That tunnel was far from her first attempt. It was clean, precise. Turns out she dug most of the way to the surface dozens of times before, but never quite reached the top. So you see, dear Mora, without knowing it, in your zeal to see the great beyond, you've drilled pilot holes for my army to break through. What's a pilot hole? Laney asked. Dylan looked at her. It's a small hole that's drilled into something that makes it easier for a bigger drill to break through. Ding, 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 ding! Kai flashed finger guns at him. Look, not everyone from the surface is a total waste of brain matter after all. So... Now that we have that out of the way, he drew a crystal-bladed sword, I'll kindly ask you again. Give me the key. Mora stepped forward, her spear and skin glowing. We will do no such thing. Kai's face trembled with anger. Very well. Since this will be the end of you, let me just say, thank you. Cling! He brought his crystal sword down and Mora blocked it with her spear. Grebe grabbed Mora and pulled her back. Save your light, daughter. You will need it. He held his massive orange axe that glowed in his hands. The Teely Garbage Collector, Kai sneered. I've been meaning to thank you as well for letting your daughter take that airship of yours. It has served me well. Cling, clang, clash. The kids and Mora jumped back as the two men clashed, Kai twirling his nimble crystal sword and Greeb blocking the attacks with his wide, sweeping swings of his axe. Kai's soldiers charged. Dylan took out his mini shovel and extended it, while Laney and Mac fumbled through their bags for the molten boomerangs. Cling, cling! Dylan blocked the first attacking soldier, then spun around and swung, knocking him aside. Foom, foom, foom! Laney and Max started throwing the red-hot boomerangs, making the rest of the soldiers stop to deflect them with their swords. Ting, ting, ting! A couple stray throws sent the boomerangs slicing into one of the airships, making the cockpit explode. The blast threw one of the soldiers through the air. Two more soldiers charged and made it past Dylan to Mora, who suppressed her light and fought only with her own strength. Her spear twirled around her arms and back in a blur as she brought it down on them. Crack! Ting, ting, cling, clash, clink. She backstepped as she blocked their attacks, then spun her spear around her hip, 
grabbed it on its last rotation and whacked the sword out of one of the soldier's hands and kicked him away. She ducked just in time to dodge a swipe of the other soldier's sword. Throwing her spear up under his knees, she sent the man spinning wildly through the air and tumbling down the hill. Boom, boom! The crystal volcanoes around the valley erupted and began spewing enormous geysers of lava and gems. Dark clouds of ash and smoke billed up and clung to the under-earth ceiling. Bolts of lightning flashed through them with every eruption. Tiny glittering gems rained down around them. Foom, foom, slash! A boomerang hit a soldier and sent him flying. I got one! Max shouted. His joyful expression turned to horror as the boomerang came arching back towards him. Oh no, oh no, 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 oh no, 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 no. He ran from it and dove just in time for it to skim over his head and sputter into the hill above him. A few feet away, Lainey was channeling all of her favorite martial art movie scenes as she awkwardly fended off a soldier holding two boomerangs. Cling, fizz, clash, fizz, cling. To her surprise, her boomerangs found their target as she sliced them across the soldier's armor, making him drop. Just behind him, another soldier charged. He had appeared so suddenly that Lainey froze. Right as the soldier raised his sword, one of Max's stray boomerangs arched back around and cut across his back, dropping him by Laney's feet. Still in shock, Laney looked over at Mac to thank him, but saw that he was too busy throwing a bunch of boomerangs all over the place and making ridiculous noises, so she figured she'd save it for later. Pretty soon, it was just Kai and Greed left fighting. The two continued to clash as they stepped back and forth, spinning, swinging, blocking, and jabbing. Their weapons sparked as they clashed. Mora, dig! I'll hold them back, Grebe shouted. Father, Mora shouted. Dig now! Mora and the kids ran the rest of the way up the hill and looked up at the ceiling that was only a few feet above them. Mora held her spear above her head and positioned it into the rock as she'd done so many times before. With her other hand, she took out the large yellow crystal that glowed with a brilliant light and held it out. When she did, the smaller yellow crystal on her necklace pulled towards it and click attached to it, making their glow even brighter. Mora looked at the crystals and then at the other kids, who were all still rattled from the fight. This will not be enough. Each of you, grab on. The kids hesitated. Are you sure it's not going to melt our hands or something? Mac asked, leaning away from the crystal as if it were a firework about to blow. I am sure, Mora said, growing impatient. You heard the servants? We all have light within us. I need your help if we are going to break through. Father! Grebe knocked Kai to his feet and ran up the hill towards the kids. Kai quickly jumped up and ran after him. Starting with Dylan, the kids grabbed hold of the glowing yellow crystal one by one, making it glow a little brighter with every new touch. Laney was the last to grab it. The crystal's light pulsed between them. Greed made it to the top of the hill just in time to add his hand to the huddle. In a flash, the crystal shone with a blinding light. Dylan felt the hairs on his arms stand up. Mora closed her eyes and took a deep breath. Just before she could lift, Kai made it to the top of the hill and slashed his sword at Grebe's legs. Shoo! Crash! In a flash of light, Grebe and the kids blasted up into the rocky ceiling. They dropped a few feet, and then with another surge of light, they burst further up. Shoo! Crash! 
zoom, crash. Dylan could feel the power zapping between them like an arc of electricity. It formed a sharp bubble of light that came to a point at Moore's spear above them. With every burst of light, they dug further and further. Zoom, crash, zoom, crash. Mora shook from the effort. Her skin was now glowing brighter than the crystal. She yelled and shoo, crash! The rock above them exploded and they were engulfed in overwhelming light and warmth. Dylan felt his insides toss and turn as they came falling back to the ground. Thud. Everything went dark. His ears were ringing and there was a pain on his right side where he'd landed. A faint, tingling sensation lingered from the lift. When he tried to open his eyes, all he could see was light. Gradually, blurry shapes started to form in the light, and the ringing faded in his ears. There was a yellow circle above him, incredibly bright and warm. Dylan blinked. It was the sun. Squinting, he looked around. There was dirt and dry shrubs, and in the distance, desert mountains. He heard coughing next to him. Straining his neck to look over, he saw Lainey struggling to get up, and not far from her, Mac was laying flat on his back, coughing up dirt. Mac was only a few feet away from the gaping hole they had blasted through. Rock and rubble lay scattered about. Then he saw Mora, crouched over her father. He looked hurt. Is he okay? Dylan said, limping over to them. He is injured, Mora said, looking over a cut on the back of Grebe's legs. I will be fine, Grebe said, groaning in pain. Dylan and Mora looked at each other, both relieved to see the other okay. Mora's blue eyes shone through her dirt-caked face. Tears filled them as she was suddenly overcome with emotion. The two embraced each other. Dylan could feel the undeniable energy of the light envelop them. Dylan pulled back and looked down at Grebe. We need to get him to a hospital. No, Grebe said, wincing in pain. We must warn your people first. Mora, tie a tourniquet on it, and the two of you can help me up. Mora did as he said, tearing a cloth from her robe and tying it around his wound to stop the bleeding. Then, she and Dylan helped him to his feet. Guys, are you thing what I'm thing? Max said, finally getting to his feet. He pointed and everyone looked. Up ahead, next to a large flat-roofed building, was a sign that read, Area 51. Dylan stared at the sign, his mouth agape. Is it possible? He quickly glanced around and finally noticed that they had surfaced in a highly secure desert complex, surrounded by barbed wire fences and guard towers. Oh, of course we'd pop out here, Lainey started mumbling to herself. We could have shot out anywhere, Disneyland, the beach, Broadway, but no, it brought us here. What is wrong? Mora asked, alarmed by the kid's reaction. What does that mean, Area 51? It means, Max said, slowly turning to her, we gotta get the heck out of here. Putting an arm over their shoulder, Mora and Dylan helped Grebe walk as they followed Lainey and Mac towards the nearest building. Back down the hole, in the musky darkness of Underearth, Kai had ignored his injured men and was frantically rummaging through his crashed airship, the crystal volcano still erupting around him. 
little falling gems pelted the ship's roof. Digging through one last chest, he finally found the jetpack. Hands shaking, he took it out, gave it a big celebratory kiss, and then strapped it onto his back. Chuckling maniacally, he marched back up to the top of the hill and positioned himself under the tunnel. Face sweating, he smiled and then pressed the button on the jetpack's joystick. Click. couple of episodes left, Rocketeers. I don't know about you, but I'm getting kind of anxious to see how this is gonna end. What do you think about those volcanoes, huh? Blasting out precious gems? Are you serious? If it weren't so hot and dangerous, I'd be strolling through that valley with a big open bag being like, don't mind me, just passing through, catching some ruby rain. Although it might be kind of uncomfortable having tiny gems rain down on your head, but who knows. I want to take a second to do some shout-outs and give some love to our patrons, Liam and Mika, and their mom, Jen, from Manchester, Missouri. Hey, thank you guys for supporting the show. I hope you're liking Digger. It sounds like you are. Alexandria, nine-year-old Alexandria, Austin and Jackson, who are in Phoenix. Thank you guys for your support. I grew up in Gilbert, not far from there. Love that area. And Evie, Rosie, and Lottie in Georgia. You guys, you are amazing. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for listening. And Rocketeers, thank you all so much for leaving your reviews, for signing up on Patreon, for sharing the podcast with your friends. Seriously, It means a lot to me. Thank you so, so much for your support. And I don't want to give anything away, but I have a really fun series planned for After Digger, and I think you're really going to like it. It's going to come out in a couple months, two, three months. We'll see. Keep checking back, okay? Check your emails. Check the Facebook page. Till next time, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb.